and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to East Meets West here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet podcasting feed. We are here. You're hearing this on a Sunday. We're recording this on a Tuesday, which we've been reliably informed by Stephen Wilson, overlord of ESSR. This is, in fact, the five-year anniversary of the first-ever podcast for ESSR. So, you know, quite interesting that we're recording this on this exact anniversary date. Yes, there that it's been five years. And we are here to talk about all things going on in New Japan Pro Wrestling and some of the things that have gone on, but we haven't been able to see them because they're not available in New Japan World yet. And I am joined by a man who's looking for someone to look at him the way that Zack Sabre Jr. looks at Tai Chi during backstage comments. A pleasure for us to be back here again. And yeah, you know, awaiting, awaiting Royal Quest to bloody go up for us. You know, like we know what's <laughs> happened. I was in the bloody same city when it happened and they had to put it when I was down, clashing with something else. Gero, you <laughs> arsehole. <laughs> But yeah, like, we've, we've had a hell of a week. Well, a hell of a month with New Japan, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last 48 hours in particular have been you know, quite shocking. A lot of newsworthy stuff I've been in the last four hours, given that we're talking about this after a certain thing that happened on Monday Night Raw and uh, New Japan's Declaration of Power show, which replaces the annual uh, King of War Wrestling show that usually would have been around this time. But yeah. You were in London. Uh, what were you down in London for? Just curious. I was down to watch the music from Final Fantasy, Distant Worlds live, like live orchestra. Or what? So I was down celebrating something that is also very much Japanese. So I'm very <laughs> upset that they, and they also made, they also had train strikes, which made it nigh on impossible for a lot of people to get. So there were so many cheap tickets going for it as well. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the pictures from like inside the venue. At the start, because I was on Twitter when the show was kicking off, like night one, and they showed all the wrestlers outside the ring because Antonio Inoki uh, sadly passed away not long before. So I'll say that you got to see when the, when it was filled, and there was quite a lot of people there. But you know, I think the fact that they've delayed it so much, I think you know, I think it makes it worse for you that you were so close but couldn't go because like you would have been one of the one of a handful of people in the world who did see what happened, and. You'd have a unique position on me. You're like, I know what happened. I saw the match between us, the open FTR, but you didn't get to see it. I was there. I saw it. I seen it. I seen it with my own eyes. <laughs> yeah. We, that, that, those shows went down the 1st and 2nd of October. We're recording this on the 11th. It's still not went up yet. And I'm pretty sure Kevin Kelly said, oh, we're, we're going to be recording our English commentary for it this week. So I bet you by the time you're listening to this, World Quest is already bloody up. And we're going to have to talk about it a month fucking later. And I'm still not happy with it. And, you know, you know, you know you fucked up when guys in the match are going on Twitter and asking New Japan World, where is the match? <laughs> I know, exactly. Like, you know, it would have been great to celebrate the fifth anniversary of ESSR by talking about said match, which is meant to be an absolute barnstormer. And also, yeah. you know, if we had a bit of a, a warning, Mr. Wilson, maybe we could have done the special about the Great Okan to celebrate the fifth anniversary. <laughs> All hail. All hail. 
<laughs> no, no, no. We always say that. We said it would be a Christmas special. It's going to be a Christmas special, goddammit. You people are in for a very busy December on from the East Meets West crew. You're going to be hearing a lot of us. You're going to be hearing much East Meets West on this airways as you hear Mariah Carey and just for every shop you go in through the month of December. Or Michael Bublé currently getting thawed in time for Christmas to come out of his cave. Or, you know, to keep in, in line with, uh, with old ZSJ. As much as you go into a shop and hear George Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> you know, legend has it, if you play Last Christmas backwards, you hear him telling you, use the tickets, use the tickets. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, we're going to have to spoil some things about Royal Quest. Uh, well, as I said, we'll talk about it in our next episode in more in detail, but because the results of some of these matches do lead on to stuff that's going to happen an upcoming tour which we're going to preview at the very end of this podcast but uh, obviously it's unfortunate we couldn't uh, get to talk about Royal Quest but something that also is unfortunate as I mentioned as I referenced there when I saw the pictures the passing of Antonio Inoki uh, they had a minutes a 10 bell salute at the start of Royal Quest they did another one at the start of Declaration of Power where at that event they were getting, they were hoping to have Inoki there you know, they had them via video you know, during these big special events during the 50th anniversary year and they were hoping he would be well enough to, to come to an event but they couldn't make it happen and sadly he's no longer with us but uh, you know it's, it's, it's a weird irony you know that the founder of New Japan passes away just as the company celebrates 50 years of existence. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. Yeah, it's a total legend. He was the founder of New Japan. He did at one point almost run it into the ground. Where we have to be honest there, but he had a had a a total sort of like a massive larger than life figure, and now he will be up in heaven, slapping everyone that comes to the ring with him, including the <laughs> Queen of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> what a tight team match! That'd be Queen of Margaret Thatcher versus Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Look it's it happening. <laughs> it's <laughs> I gotta say, who the heck are we telling to book it now? They're up in heaven now. But yeah, it's like for, it seemed, did seem like for everything good he did in, in wrestling, there was also some baffling shit or some shit that some people will pogoes it at and say it wasn't as good. You know, he did have the whole thing where he fell out in New Japan and then formed his own promotion, telling Brock Lesnar to bring the IWGP belt with him. And through those events, that means that despite holding a belt that says IWGP on it, Kurt Angle is not recognized as an IWGP heavyweight champion officially but it did lead to that weird unification match we have in Nakamura in 2008 which is one of those weird wrestling oddities when you look up like wait Kurt Angle fought Shinsuke Nakamura and, and Shinsuke Nakamura had his weird short hair I know what what an unreal time that was to be a wrestling fan and it's just like you're like wait Angle Nakamura nah nah that didn't happen they like, <laughs> they like you to think it never happened well, that was also, also coincided with Grango literally winning every belt that TNA had at that time. So he just had all the bloody belts. The original belt collector was Kurt Angle. <laughs> well, uh, if you haven't checked out, I recommend you listen to an episode that uh, William Rigo did a couple of weeks ago about uh, wrestling in Japan. He talked about Tony Aoki coming to WCW to wrestle uh, William Rigo and Talked about how he was old, a bit older even then, and they just he said how he brought him up to his hotel room, and there was all his armed security around. And Inoki basically said to Rigo, the only thing he said to him for the match was, "You hit me as hard as you can, 
I'll hit you as hard as I can. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think Inoki got blown up a fair bit during the match because he's a bit older. And he kept saying, we, we go home, we go home. No, we've still got about six bloody minutes left. And he kind of looked disappointed. And eventually, uh, Regal uh, lost by submission to Inoki. And he said that his son, Charlie Dempsey, uh, was watching the match back. Well, I assume it's his... He's got two sons, but I assume it's someone that's going on to be a wrestler that was watching it back. But he said, my son was watching it. And asked him, what did you think? He went, it just looks like you're being up a pensioner for about 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, what? what? I, just, I was like, you just, you were beating up an old man. You absolute bastard. <laughs> and then Regal's response was like, well, that's pretty much the long and short of it. <laughs> and... <laughs> So, and okay, they, hit, they played this video package at the start of Dexter's the ship, Eric showed all this, like, the, kind of like the matches he's had, like, these matches with Bruiser Brody and Hulk Hogan, Stan Hansen, you know, all all those guys. You know, I man who won technically more G1s than anybody, if you really want to go back to the very, very, very beginning of that tournament, where he pretty much won it every single year. That's it. Just, you know, what, what better way to get yourself over? <laughs> yeah, he is the definition of like a, a hardcore holly got his wish in the, in the WF back in the day where they'd say whenever he had an idea like what's your idea you give me the belt then what then I beat everybody <laughs> that's what would happen if a uh, hardcore holly got any picking power is what we, what Antonio Noki basically did for most of the early days of New Japan like you know, there's, there's an old carny tradition in wrestling that promoter putting themselves over but Antonio Noki took it to New Heights. Yeah, that's it. That that is the ultimate. That is the benchmark. No one has ever came close. Anoki nope. <laughs> uh, sadly wasn't able to attend New Japan shows before he died. But somebody who won't uh, be attending any New Japan shows, it seems like uh, for the foreseeable future, is Kushida, as he's been ruled out due to illness from. Uh, recent New Japan shoes. He was meant to be part of Burning Spirit, especially on the last night teaming with Tamatonga against Ishimori and Jay Whitehand, replaced by Jado. And they were hoping, they were advertising him for a special singles match against Ishimori at Declaration of Power because Ishimori trying to make him jump through all his hips to earn a title shot. Uh, but then, eventually, then a couple of days before the show, they announced that Master Watto would be taking his place in that match. We'll talk about that match later on, but Basically, uh, they've not really confirmed when he's going to be back, and it doesn't look like he's factored into junior heavyweight title plans going into the dome, where you'd assume he would have been uh, had he been healthy enough to go. But uh, it's kind of a it's kind of kicking the balls if you're a fan of Kishida, Grant, that uh, he's he's come back to New Japan, has gotten off to this very unfortunate start. And, and like the fact that he's out with like hand, foot, and mouth disease it is such a, a random. Thing to get, but I mean, I remember seeing like he put up a picture recently showing his hand, and I mean, it it, it looks more wrecked than David Hockney's love life. It's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, Dave. We love you really, but just the joke had to be made. <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird kind of thing. I think he caught it from one of his children or whatever, like. And there's only, oh, you don't catch it young, you, you'll, there's a chance you'll get it in your your older years or whatever it was. Uh, but it is kind of sad because he came back uh, one of the last shows before the G1 to set up the stuff with Ishimori. 
and then obviously it wasn't on New Japan TV because everything was all about the G1 and everything, so he had to go over to Strong and do some stuff in Impact, and then he's come back, and now they're going to build to it, and then now he's got this illness, but I think he'll be selfish enough, even if he's not in the uh, he's not in like the plans for the junior heavyweight tail, do you think they'll maybe if he's healthy enough to come back before the tournament, do you think they'll slot him into try and find a way to slot him into the Super J Tag League? I I think, and this is this is just me like sort of like throwing it out there a wee bit, but I think they might actually hold off on him, and then whoever wins at the dome, I I think he'll challenge them when we do New Year's Dash. Hmm. Yeah. That does sound likely because that, that used to be one New Year's Dash is all about like people making challenges, having surprises. And I think a lot will have happened by then. I don't, I don't want to say people will have forgotten about him, but people it'll be a lot more surprising because like they were so wrapped up in everything else going on with New Japan, the junior heavyweight tail. Then all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, Kushida, he was gonna have a, a shot at it, and then he comes out and confronts whoever the champion is. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, and especially the fact that compared to other companies, just with New Japan, when these plans kind of change and that, you never really hear anything from the backstage gossip as to what was the original plan. But it's very much still to this day kept quiet. You never know. Yeah, I think you need to kind of just infer it yourself based on what what was happening on TV, like what was happening. You like, oh, so he was constantly in tag matches against him, so he must have been built into some sort of some sort of singles match at some point. But moving on to another title scene where we talked about FTR and, and Aussie Open, and I think it did seem kind of random at the time when it was announced that oh, it was going to be Aussie Open versus FTR and FTR's first defense of the, the IWGP tag team titles. But uh, across these recent shows in New Japan, it seems like they've been doing these special two and two matches as a way of trying to uh, set up potential favorites for the the World Tag League and future challenges, all these tag teams all having their claim to being the next challengers to FTR. Like, you had, uh, you had on Burning Spirit, Great O'Kan and Jeff Cobb defeating Chief Solent and Bad Luck Valley. You also had Dangerous Tickers versus uh, LIG team of Naito and Sonata. Then on uh, Dick we should bring you another set of tag matches where you had uh, Dangerous Tickers defeating Bad Dutio and Shane Hayes and uh, Cobb and Okan also got a victory over uh, the former tag team champions Bishimon. So it does feel like they're setting up, you know, like these are the teams to watch out for in the upcoming World Tag League. Yeah, this is a, the early foreshadowing has begun, and it's it's these little sort of hints that people might not pick up originally, but when when you get to the World Tag League and you go back and you're like, oh, this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, they were talking about the the, the three teams like Bishamon, uh, Cobb and Okan and the Bullet Club team with Chase and Fowler. The idea that, well, Bishamon lost and then didn't get a rematch because they lost the because then Chase and Fowler had, had to defend it against the Great Night Empire who they, who won it and then they lost it to FTR. So it's a case of like, hey, we got three teams here who never got rematches. Who gets first dibs? And then I don't know if it, but even though I'm sure it'll be a great match when I finally see it. It, it did seem out of nowhere to me, like, who's getting the first shot? Aussie Open, who already have tag belts that they're defending. I know, I think if it hadn't been in the UK, that match wasn't going to be the one that happened. I, I think it was, big part was it down to the home crowd. I mean, despite the fact that Aussie Open were understandably from Australia originally, the UK is mm-hmm. where they've built themselves up. It's where they've made their presence known. 
starting all the way back to the days of Aussie Open, becoming part of Schadenfreude, and then moving on to where they are now. They are well overdue. The sort of the the like the the exposition they're getting now. They've been one of tag wrestling's best kept secrets for ages. Yeah, I mean, the guys have been on fire recently, especially since winning those titles. They won them in the final from uh, Umber and Christopher Daniels. They haven't really talked about the strong tag titles uh, a lot here, but they had that match. I think they did have a title defense in Revro as well. They defended them in on New Japan Strong against the West Coast Wrecking Crew. They've got one a title defense coming up this Friday on uh, on Strong or the Saturday in Revro. It's been moved to Saturday. Where they're going to be defending them against GR Kratos and Danny Limelight. And I'm sure they'll be main evented by uh, Chris Dickens and Chance and Fred Roster for the strong open weight belt. But they also, uh, Aussie Open, Open also popped up in Impact recently. They had a match against Crispy and Ace Austin and then came up short in a match, a dream match, like all people would say, against the Machine Guns, which is how the Machine Guns earned their tag title shot recently at Burn for Koi against uh, the OGK. So, and plus they were in the Trios tournament. So, it does feel like joining the United Empire was the best thing for Aussie Open coming out of the pandemic, where now they're, they're basically just fucking everywhere. Aye, that's it. Them aligning with Osprey has been a stroke of genius for, as you say, they've, they've popped up everywhere, but ironically, where's the one place they've not popped up? New Japan in Japan. <laughs> well, there are they are going to be there sooner rather than later. We'll talk about that uh, later on, but Kevin Kelly also did imply that there would be a title defence from FTR potentially, he said, in an upcoming show in Osaka. So you know, I'll keep my ears peeled out for what happens there. But given the fact that they've won two big matches recently, I assume, oh, if that match happens, it'll be O'Kan and Jeff Cobb because it only feels right it's them. But then again, I don't feel like they should lose to FTR if that is the case right before the tournament because... I, I believe going into it, it's between maybe United Empire and maybe Dangerous Techers as the favourites, in my opinion. Yeah, that's it. Like, th- th- those are two teams that I don't want to see going into World Tag League with any sort of weakness being shown. Those teams deserve to look absolutely killer. And no doubt we'll have kind of G.O.D. properly kind of oh, reforming yeah. for it. Yeah, I almost uh, forgot that G.O.D. that they're still kind of teaming together, but I think it's primarily because uh, Tangolo hasn't been on New Japan TV and Tam has been so wrapped up in this stuff between him and J.O.A. ever since the G1 and also before that he was challenging for the Never Bell itself, so he I, I've just been wrapped up in his singles stuff. I forgot how good he is as a tag team, but you know, I think it's weird about uh, Dangerous Tigers, they're so good as a tag team, but it does feel like recently Sexy Virginia is to try and push himself away from the tag team wrestling and go after you know, singles titles. He's had like shots against Okada this year. He tried to qualify for a shot at the US belt. But I'd like to see, because Dangerous Tigers have been in the tournament as tag champs and they've fought the winners of World Tag League before, but I'd like to see them win the tournament at least once, like, even if they break up after an unsuccessful challenge at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, build it up as like, a one last hurrah for Dangerous Tigers. Yeah, they're they're a team that deserves to kind of have that accolade to kind of complete the tag team set that they've kind of built up because they are. I mean, they they were like when everyone was getting fed up with God, who stepped up? Dangerous Techers. Absolutely. Uh, also, quite interesting for the World Tag League. It does feel like we're gonna have. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they put them in like two separate blocks, but uh, it feels like we're having like. Uh, representation from two halves of TMDK 
because also you're going to have like Haste and Mikey Nichols, and also you got Bad Dude Tito and and Big Jonah probably in this tournament. So you know there'll be a lot of big lads in this tournament, a lot of big men to slap all kinds of meat. <laughs> oh yes, all the finest of meats getting slapped <laughs> by the big meaty men. <laughs> but some smaller men who slap in less meaty things. I don't know how to transition there, but I'm talking about the junior heavyweight tag team title match that happened on Burning Fair on the 25th of September. It was the champions representing United Empire, Akira and TJP, against the Ass Masters in their first defense. It's the rematch, uh, the rematch for the titles. And you know, it seems like Kazuato has been you know, under the tutelage of Tenzan, like going into this, Taguchi decided, I'm going to pretend I'm Masahiro Chono, coming out with the sunglasses and everything. Absolutely. I was like I was like, what is going on here? This is just this is just getting a bit wild now. Mm-hmm. And oh, I really like this match, you know, you can't go wrong with these guys. I like Akira and TJP as a as a team. But it also did feel like the result was never in doubt, but there was some unique moves being pulled out here like uh, Master Watt was like up on the shoulders of TJP while TJP was sat on the middle rope. And then Akira just comes in, hits a hurricane runner, and like the kind of moves that you can, that even though the crowd aren't making many noise at this event, they, they can make noise at some events. But even when they're not allowed to, the crowd can't help when they see spots. Let's go about. Oh, and I love that. It's like we're going to make no. Oh no, we're no, we're not making noise. When this is the wrong crowd. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And there were some near falls, like especially when. Uh, and what will flew to the outside to stop TGP from breaking it, from breaking off a submission that that Taguchi had on Akira in the middle of the ring. I thought, like, oh shit, are they gonna they gonna give it back to the S Masters? Like, you never you never knew where they were gonna go in this match. And I really like Akira in that as a as a heel team for the junior division, especially going into World Tag League. And it always makes me laugh that their finishing moves, like the electric chair into the car, is called the Leaning Tower. No, that's I, I honestly I love that move. It's just so crisp, and you know, I mean, despite the fact that TJP is a bit of a wee bob bag at times, he's <laughs> a it, him and Akira is a good solid team. And what they've done with Akira to me is a good example of how to build someone in the junior division rather than the old fashioned. Here's someone new. We're going to put them right up to the main the main spot. It's like no, no, put them in the tag bit first. Build them. Mm-hmm. Have fun with it. Yeah. I definitely think going forward we'll see a lot more of him. Like after they used to inevitably drop the belts, we'll see him having his eyes on the the main uh, junior belt. Like I think when he goes to next year's best of super juniors, like the game performance, I was I was convinced he was probably going to have like winning a block, uh, which he didn't end up having in twenty twenty two. But I think that's the game performance we'll see him have maybe next year or even the year after that, because you know. The whole part of him coming in was to be like a new potential ace of the junior division for the United Empire, but yeah, I actually wouldn't mind because I've seen him and TGP teaming with uh, Hinari a lot in like six man tag. I wouldn't mind seeing those three maybe having a spell going after the the six man belts. Yeah, I think that would be because you know when we talk about the six man belts later, I'm going to make my my thoughts perfectly fucking well known on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, let's talk about it now because I don't have a place for it. But yeah, I mean, I, I've still not found a chance to watch it. But a few days before the 25th, which was the finale of the Burning Spirit Tour, we had a dog collar death match, <laughs> which 
Go ahead. Uh, like, uh, yeah, I'm on the website right now. A tornado dog cage survival match. Yeah, like what the, the what they've missed out there is the word dog shit. Like what? Like first defense for Goto Yoshihashi and Yo, and fucking evil in the house of fucking torture. Fucking do it again, again. Know who needs to go and stop them? There's only one team I can think of, one trio I think that can stop this, and everybody loves them. They are the acclaimed and daddy ass. Scissory! Oh. <laughs> oh, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> uh, that's what they should have done. Next next Forbidden Door, you put Master Watton Taguchi against the Acclaimed, where the Ass Master can finally meet Daddy Ass. And Taguchi can get up. Well, I think he could get up in Billy Gunn's face, but Billy Gunn would probably dwarf Taguchi. He's a freakishly tall man. Uh, Ruby's like, you're not Ass Master. I am the Ass Master. I've been the Ass Master for many years. Were you the six innings of any champion? I have been it twice. <laughs> I just want that meeting to happen so badly. I need that crossover in my life. Wait, I haven't seen it, but I've not heard like favourable reviews of that six-man tag where the House of Torture regained the tag titles because I heard you said that and then on the English commentary, Kevin Kelly and Chris Shorten were very dismissive because I've seen a lot of matches in my life, and that was certainly a match. <laughs> that's that's subtitles for that was absolute shit. <laughs> I I just love like how little shit they give. Like they just let the disdain for the House of Torture shine through. You know, it's almost approaching. You know, if they got a bit more animated to be approaching the way that Jr. used to just get so wound up about the heelish actions of Triple H back in the day. I got back, evil you son of a bitch! Oh god, I, I would actually love to hear Jared going absolutely losing his shit. Evil, he's evil, you bastard! Well, I thought they need to do it for Rendor. Just I don't know who you put them in with, but get, have a house to torture triple threat match, and you know, because JR always is quick to point out, like, hey ref, ref's not in position, ref. Like JR would have a fucking heart attack watching a house to torture six man tag. Oh, definitely, his Bell's palsy would definitely go up a step. <laughs> you just hear a thud like, well, JR's killed over. He just tipped back in his chair. He just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Evil, you've done it. You've killed potentially the greatest commentator of all time. And I bet you'd be fucking proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, surely thanks to Dick Togo that they've won the Bell's back, but you and I have already discussed that we want to say you to blame on Dick Togo. He's clearly the man in charge of scheduling with New Japan shows, the international ones at least go up on the website, which is why it takes so fucking long. They go, they only just uploaded Capital Collision a couple of weeks ago. That show happened in May. That's where Juice Robinson won the US belt in the first place. Fucking Chase Owens is still a tag team champion on that show. I'm blaming everything on this, on Dick Togo. Any technical difficulties that we may have to cover up, Dick Togo. It's all Dick Togo's fault. <laughs> all down to Dick. It's always a Dick's fault. That's what we're always told in life. It's true. <laughs> yes. We've had far too much Dick in our life, from my liking, especially over the past two years. And yeah, it may not be his fault, but it's fun to say that it is. You know, it's easy to blame Dick Togo. It's fun, too. So if you have anything in your life that's going wrong, that's out of your control, just blame Dick Togo. Or Stephen Wilson. Either way, a dick's involved. <laughs> in fact, I'm sure Dick Togo, if he's on Twitter, would love to hear your complaints and the other different things that are his, that are his fault. So please feel free to let him know. Slide into his DMs if they're open. 
<laughs> ah. So going on to another two match which has a more, lot more interesting ramifications given the last 24 hours at time recording was Carl Anderson's de- successful defense of the never open weight championship against Tanahashi. It was interesting to see, you know, Carl Anderson back in these kind of big you know, singles matches in New Japan, you know, call himself Bright Lights, Machine Gun and all that. Yeah, Anderson, yeah, Gallo's trying to get involved, but then Torriano comes out and chases him away after those two had a very entertaining uh, double counter earlier in the show. Uh, what were your thoughts? We'll talk, we'll talk about what happened afterwards, you know, in a bit, but what were your thoughts on the actual getting to see you know, Carl Anderson you know, go full belt you know, with somebody the the caliber of Tanahashi? It was it was good to see it again. Um, not gonna lie, you can kind of see that both men are kind of getting a wee bit long in the tooth at this point in their careers, but they still brought it out there. They put on the best match they could, and you know it was fun. You know, I I, I was worried that like you know is Anderson going to be like a another open weight like one defense wonder, but no, he proved me wrong. Yeah, you can never rule that out, especially given that he's in there with Tanahashi and it's been a while since we've seen you know, Machine Gun in a singles match you know, to this level. You know, We had some good spots like when uh, when he goes for the kind of aces high, kind of version of the high fly flow, the catch him into the gunstone was amazing. Yeah, it's, like they get involved constantly and eventually he manages to hold Tanahashi's leg long enough to allow Anderson to get back up, hit another gunstone. Anderson gets the win. It was afterwards when Tamatonga tries to to beat down when Tamatonga tries to beat down Carl Anderson and Jay White comes in to beat him up to help his fellow bloke brother. Out comes Sikaleo, who they mentioned earlier on during the tag match that oh, you know, all the stuff that Jay White's done, he's turned his Tamatonga's own little brother against him. And there's kind of that weird set off, you didn't know what was gonna happen and Jay White's kind of telling Tikaleo what to tell him to get Tamatonga, but then he just grabs Jay White by the throat. Jay White is shaking himself just as well he was wearing black. And he gets thrown into Tama, who hits him with a gun stun. And very interestingly, afterwards, Tama poses with the with the world title and hands the never belt to his little brother. Hmm. I wonder if any developments in the last 24 hours would indicate that potentially Hikuleo would be winning that belt. I know, it's just like, hmm... I wonder who could appear on WWE. Who, <laughs> who could, who could have appeared? Did Tony leave the keys in the forbidden door when he went out to go and deal with the backstage madness? <laughs> it seems he might have. <laughs> yeah, he left there. Then Triple H just kind of stuck him into his back pocket. Dialed press number three and he speed dialed to the good brothers like, "Hey, come on, I've got the keys. Come on," because uh, you know. Hikuleo challenging for a singles title and New Japan was one thing and it would be interesting to see what would happen between him and Carl Anderson weird, you know, given he's much bigger but also you know, still fairly new to wrestling whereas Carl Anderson's a lot more experienced but then, yeah I, we'd heard the rumours that the Good Brothers were going to go back to the WWE and well, yeah, well maybe they'll have them drop the belt first, you know, hope, sadly we maybe won't get in the World Tag League, as we were talking before, because it would be good to see them against like the Aussie Open and FTR. But then we weren't expecting to see them wake up on Tuesday morning, find out about Raw, and see there was a site where they helped AJ fend off the Judgment Day. I know, I was just like, wait, what have I woken up to? What year is this? What's happening? 
Uh, do you think? I mean, I doubt you'll ever come out with the belt, but do you think they'll basically let him go back, you know, finish up with New Japan, drop the belt to Hikaru, and then that'll be Anderson pretty much done with New Japan? I I think they're going to let him go back and at least finish his obligations, possibly do World Tag League. Um, well, maybe World Tag League's the one bit that I think is possibly in in jeopardy. Um, it's just such a weird position because like. If it was AEW and that, I, I would have guessed something like this happening. But as as we kind of briefly talked about before we started recording, this was something I never saw coming. I heard the rumours like it was literally what, like twenty four hours ago. Ah, the Good Brothers may be going back to WWE, and I'm like, all right, that's going to be some time. Oh no, 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 it's happening now. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I was shocked to even like, I, I would hear a lot of people like, oh, so and so might be interested in going back, or so and so is now open now that Triple H is. In charge, he's more open to a WWE return, but like the Good Brothers had shot, had like fired so many shots to WWE's way, especially Anderson, on Twitter sometimes when he, he really shouldn't have and just should have let well enough alone. Uh, but so like I, I feel like they were so just done with WWE in their time there that you know they'd been like given all these promises, like they signed a new contract like to like, like less than a year, maybe even ten months before they got released, and then obviously just got like cast aside so you know you would think Triple H must have made some really big promises or offered or promised some really big things in order to convince them to come back because you know girls aren't shy about talking about how much they love money but you got to think there was a lot more than just money that Triple H offered them yeah there has to be something big put on the table perhaps like some actual decent booking opportunities rather than that fucking god awful segment I wish I could forget with the, 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 the new day Oh, Jesus. we must never speak of that again. But yeah, this this is a this is a, a golden opportunity for both sides. Both because I mean, like the fact that New Japan World actually retweeted things like Jay White tweeting about Monday Night Raw and that is like right. This isn't just like a, a little on the, the fact that New Japan World themselves retweeted tweets involving the Good Brothers on WWE television. That's big. Mm. There must be some agreement to let Anderson finish up before he goes back. Because, yeah, I agree with you. That it may be a long shot for them to let him do World Tag League because you know they brought him back to, them back to TV. They want them clearly in a big uh, spot, and uh, which they must have promised them in order for them to come back. So then it would be weird to like, oh, Good Brothers are back, and then like the last bit of the year they're like gone for a month. Like it's such a, a schedule for that that Tag League tournament, so. I, I doubt they'll let that happen, but you know, maybe Triple H will, you know, start to build that relationship that WWE and Nick Khan and the Vince were trying to do with like with Brian, because there were all those rumors that WWE reached out in Japan because Brian wanted to go somewhere that would let him wrestle in Japan, and that's why he ultimately chose AEW, despite the fact he's went nowhere near Japan at all. Not even appeared on New Japan Strong. <laughs> like, it's I'm sorry, that's a less of a trick for you, Brian. So. You know, your priorities were wrestling in Japan. What the fuck are you? <laughs> Aye, still waiting for that G1 appearance, like. <laughs> I mean, at 2021, yeah, the, the pandemic and everything, and you were, you were still fairly new to AEW at that point when you you know you would have been able to go to Japan. But, you know, come on. Borders have been open for months now. Come on. It's just your hearts. Yeah, that's it. Like, I, I still think there's... I still think it's going to happen eventually. I think they were just... Let's face it, you're not going to have Brian like Danielson in 
a big New Japan event without there being a raucous, rowdy, loud crowd. Mm. I mean, we were they were they did the world reports coming out that AEW talent, you know, may have a role in the upcoming Wrestle Kingdom. So I wouldn't be shocked if, if he was one of them. You know, Jay White recently threw out a challenge for that show in New York at the end of October to fight Eddie Kingston. They called Eddie Kingston out at the end of a recent New Japan Strong. So, no, I wouldn't be I would be interested to see if what happens with EW if there's uh, like some notable talents coming over for that show. But I think we've learned now that whenever there's a report coming out right before SmackDown, right before Raw saying, so-and-so is potentially coming back to WWE. They've been in talks to WWE. Like, you pretty much expect them to see them at the next possible you know, opportunity because, you know, Cross, like a day or so before he came back, it was rumoured to be coming back. He showed up. Oh, WWE's reached out to to Hit Row to come back. You know, all the ones except Swerve. And then the very next SmackDown, who comes out to squash and jobbers? Oh, it's Hit Row. That's it. This, this is like the Triple H era coming into WWE. It's 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 pretty much like when Tony came in with the AEW. Right now, it feels like anything could happen at any time. It is getting fucking wild. The only thing that the only thing the person missing in this whole wrestling world right now that could really make things even more wild is if Kota Ibushi fucking appears out of nowhere. Oh well, <clears throat> I think every, I think we can tell this year more than anything else. You know, as a certain person who was you know forced to retire in a bit of disgrace would say, anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. <laughs> it you know, it's like with Triple H. You know, so many of these people that have been brought back are seeming like kind of you could be described as as Triple H guys. It's like when you see a lot of these collectors online who they had all this stuff when they were a kid, but sold it or lost it or was given away, and they start collecting because they're trying to reclaim or like try to purchase all the old stuff that they remembered collecting when they were kids. That's what Triple H is like. You know, he's had a near death experience. He's come back. All his all his favorite toys have been given away by cruel Papa. Vince McMahon, and now he's a adult collector. He is, he is to resigning people what Buddy Mark Cardona and Brian Myers are to toy collecting. He's he's doing Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, you I think they would make some big promises to the Good Brothers. You know, I wouldn't. It's been a it's been a few years, so I wouldn't mind seeing them against the Usos. And you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe. You take AJ, the Good Brothers, and a couple other faces like say Drew and someone else, and that's your five to go up against the the bloodline at the upcoming War Games match. Aye, that's it. There's so many wild, wild possibilities right now. Mm. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. I need I need George Michael to tell me. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping we get to see, maybe not full-on machine gun and Good Brothers elsewhere and every other word we see in Japan, but at least see more of a middle ground between that and whatever shit they were doing and with their promos in WWE before. Because I want to see them make some jokes about but they're in this feud with the Judgment Day at the minute. I want to see Carl Anderson making some jokes about Dominic and his relationship with Rhea Ripley. <laughs> Now that could be interesting. <laughs> oh. oh, yes. But uh, let's move on to the main event of Burning Spirit, uh, which was the IWGP US Championship being defended by Will Ospreay against David Finlay. Uh, one, of my, one of the moments that just, you know, there are a few moments that just made me, like, all of it just laugh out loud in wrestling. 
but Will Osprey just picking up, not just a chair or anything like that or any other kind of weapon, he picked up the timekeeper's table and just launched it at David Finley's head. And some in the bed that just made me laugh, just, uh, just oh, fuck you. <laughs> Who throws a table, honestly? Oh, yeah, the, like, the, the animosity leading into this one was huge. Like, the, right, right down to, like, the table, the chair being thrown, all sorts of fun shit. I loved this. Yeah, I mean, they, it wasn't an ODK match, but they didn't fucking care because they had the table spot, they had the two tables. David Finley does the spot onto the tables. The tables don't barely break. They're all like one little bit of one of the tables chips off, but Willisby just lands on the table, just they stay where they are. And so he just fucking like, fuck it, picks them up again, just slams them. <laughs> the table's like, one way or another, you're going through these fucking tables. And you know, I think that the first one was worse because. Those tables, if they don't break, there's zero fucking give to them. That's it. There is absolutely nothing but severe punishment. It is awful. It's just like, ow, ya bastard. <laughs> ow, ya bastard, indeed. 28 minutes, 22 seconds. That's got, that's got a lot of time. It's good to see for the US Taylor being such like a, a main event spot. Uh, near falls with the, the stunner and everything. You know, from And the quick roll-ups from David Finlay. Osprey going for the Oscar, and I think he eventually hits the head and blade. He gets a right to the face, which still looks brutal, especially when you remember what happened when Sonata took that move. But Osprey comes out on top as US champion, to be expected. And apparently, it's goes how much of a mess the US title has been this year. This means that well, Osprey, when he retained the title over Orange Cassidy, he became the he became the first person to hold that US belt this year. To have a successful defense, so now, so now he's had his second successful defense. He just looks like bloody, feels like bloody Bruno back in the seventies by comparison to the other U.S. champions this year. Because if you remember, like the start of the year, who was it? it was Kenta, Osei Tanahashi, no, Osei Sanada, who Sanada then got injured before he could defend it. So Tanahashi won it again. He lost it to just Robinson in a four way, but then. Reluctantly vacated it and was won by Osprey. I, I like to say that like Juice didn't vacate the title, but he lost it to what was it appendicitis? Yes, appendicitis will your appendicitis won't put you over no matter what. <laughs> but it will take your title. <laughs> it will take your title, and and afterwards is one of my favourite things I've seen in a while, where Night will comes out to to make a challenge to Will Osprey. But then all years, aye, aye, out comes bloody Zaxi with Junior Man doesn't need a microphone. And he's like, yeah, 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 Naito, dickhead. You might have beat me in the G1, and you think you've got a claim to him because you beat him in the semi finals. But I beat this dickhead way back in the New Japan Cup. So if anyone's getting a title shot, it's me. And then they just start having an argument between the two of them, and they decide on a number one contender match. And they just walk up the ramp arguing with each other like a, an old married couple. And you sleep while Osprey in the ring, just look at the other members of the United Empire, like, what the fuck was that? The fuck just happened? What the fuck was that? So, that then led to a match, which, spoilers, at Royal Quest, I believe it was the main event at night two, where Naito defeats ZSJ to become the number one contender for the United States Championship. That'll happen in November, that match. But poor ZSJ, you can't catch a break. It just seemed like whenever they go to the UK, they do kind of screw over ZSJ because you know he lost here. I'm pretty sure when he got that 
match week, yeah, the match with Dan Ashley in 2019 last time they were over there and he lost his bloody British belt. I mean, he won it straight back, but still. The British champion yeah. lost the British belt in Britain. I think his only like, big major, if I remember correctly, his big major high profile win involving New Japan was when they done like the Strong Style Evolve shows, I think it was 2017, and that it beat Okada during that. That's like his one big one. Yeah, because other like, than that, he him. does not get the home the home ground advantage. because uh, like him and with him and Suzuki versus Ishii and Okada in the first night, and then they had singles matches the second night. Uh, that was like during twenty eighteen, where he came off the New Japan Cup win, where it just seemed like he was kind of on. He was just winning, well, not everything, but he was winning a lot in New Japan. Where Zack Sabre Junior, you know, he was still Zack three belts. I think remember that time. It's just absolutely like it's wild. ZSJ like has got one of the most wild records I think in all of New Japan because he puts on consistent bangers. He has a lot of big wins, but he also loses a lot as well. <laughs> we, I think I think he's one of these people who's more entertaining when he loses than when he wins. To be honest with you, just because of what he says in his backstage comments. That's it. it you can tell when George Michael is no longer with him. <laughs> Let's go on a declaration of power where we had uh, we had Ren Narita making his return to Japan to team with Robbie Eagles and David Finley. A success win over El Desperado, Kanemaru and Doki. There was no Doki Choki to be found. No Doki Choki re- at all. <laughs> really hyping up some big things for Ren Narita, calling him the son of Strongsdale. He got in the making and basically said it was just the beginning for him. We had some tag matches that I've already mentioned, but we did see the House of Bob Eggs losing a non-title six-man tag to Tanahashi, Hikaleo and Taguchi. Again, there's so many odd combinations that you find in going after the six-man tag chance, but, you know, they're under the tutelage of, you know, of the coach, Taguchi, so if he, if his pal's going after the junior belt, he's basically went, okay, I'll find some big lads and I'll get those six-man belts. I still can't get my, get my head around the fact that like, you had a team of Taguchi, Hikuleo and Tanahashi. It's just it's just wild. Like Between between that and as you say, Ren Narita, son of Strongstyle, where if I take off my glasses, I can't tell. Is that Shibata? Oh no, wait, let me put my glasses on. No, it's Ren Narita. <laughs> Basically, we're like, me, like someone, we're just looking like, someone needs to get on to Jeremy Kyle or something. Somebody needs to take a DNA test to see if he's actually his son. That's a next big event on New Japan World. Like Shibata, are you the father? No, you just headbutt someone. There's your answer. <laughs> Get Mori, and he just leans out. You are the father. Headbutt. I mean, he fuck himself up more, but still, we worth it for him. That'd be incredible. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, who knows what's going to happen there. Hopefully we'll get a confirmation of a six-man tag title match very soon. And then very interestingly, out before the midway point of the show, before the break, we had Bushi, Tana, Bushi, Hiromu, Sanada, Naito against Osprey, Hanari, TGP and Francisco Akira. And then all of a sudden some mystery, the masked man started creeping around the outside and helped uh, get involved behind the rest back allowing Bushi to hit the MX on Francisco Akira so not only is it shocking that somebody came in to interfere to help uh, LIG but it was Bushi in, a, in, a, in an LIG tag match 
actually got the one for once rather than taking one. So, thanks to the masked man's help, Bushi pinned one half of the junior heavyweight tag team champions, which during the match, the English commentator was hyping up the fact that, you know, you know one thing Hiromu has not done is win the junior tag team, so maybe he'll want to do that with Bushi, maybe they'll want to be in the Super Junior Tag League. Then the person took off his mask, and it was Titan, who I almost forgot. Who, oh, hi, because I remember he was in the, <laughs> the Super Juniors, and I remember, oh, yeah, he had some great matches, but he's got a new mask. It's black or that red, which means, you know, because they are GMAB technically heels, but we love them, so it's got to have a black mask. And so he starts speaking in Spanish to a Japanese audience. So I'm sure they were as oblivious to what the fuck he was saying as I was. Uh, but basically, his saying was, I want to join LIJ as LIJ altogether. I was like, fuck is this guy? Like, is he part of our crew now? I know, you know, we must specify, we have to say masked man because we're not allowed to say man and mask because he is a delectable little petty poir. <laughs> we're an eccentric Englishman, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> Naito, what's... Yeah. Naito, what's, what's Japanese for? You little mouse, man, you ooh, scrummy, scrummy, scrummy. As like Titan joining was kind of like a, it feels almost random, but then you they taking again like Lij Los and Gobernadores was technically a, a a whole thing from Mexican wrestling where Naito learned tranquilo. So it does kind of come back full circle, and it's a very clever move. Plus Titan, every single best of Super Juniors where they have the CMLL guys over, he is fucking brilliant to watch. Yes, uh, I remember being really impressed with him uh, during the Super Juniors. So. Getting to see him more full time, I'm not against it, you know. But I've thought maybe they need a new member of LIJ because you know they're one of the few factions that doesn't actively recruit anybody. So it's weird to see someone idly say like, "I want to be part of your group," and they kind of did the fist bump and kind of welcomed them into the group, uh, which makes them quite as full circle as you say. Because CMLL, that's where Naito went when nobody liked him, and he joined this Mexican group, did the offshoot of it in Japan, and now Mexican wrestlers joined. The Japanese version, and as they said on commentary, Titan is officially, you know, they've been around since 2015, but this is the first time a non-Japanese person has joined LIJ. I know, it's actually quite a big a big landmark moment, really. Mm-hmm. It's it's something special. I, I'm looking forward to seeing because this kind of brings, to me, it's bringing LIJ back up to, like, they've got a full contingent for it. You could technically say they've got a heavyweight tag team, a junior heavyweight tag team, a singles heavyweight and the junior like singles heavyweight, they have the full package. They have all avenues covered. Yeah, I think they also said it's another bit of LIG history because in that same building, Chris Jones said that Evil was revealed as the first member, and then it was in 2016 where Sonata would make his debut in that venue to help Naito win the IWGP World Title from from Okada back in 2016. So, you know, big moments for LIG seem to happen in that venue and. There was a wee bit of a moment between Bushi and Hiromu kind of looking at you like, basically it seems like Hiromu was kind of realizing like, what are you going to team with him now? So basically it looks like Hiromu, like, like you said, is going to be the junior heavyweight singles guy and he's going to have to put his any ambitions on being a junior tag champion on hold because it does look like Titan and Bushi are going to be the tag team going forward. So I think that does make them favourites now for the Super J Tag League, which... I wouldn't be against because I think it's a bit time Bushy got used to. I know it's just it's it's a, it's a, it's a nice little shake up as you say it's been well overdue 
that whole thing happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, I think he actually briefly held the tag belts with Takagi when Takagi was briefly a junior heavy when he first came in. Uh, he said that for uh, like a couple of months. Then he was he was a junior heavyweight champion for like a cup of coffee, and that was about it. Because I joked about it earlier on, but he does seem to be the guy now. Like it's a LIG tag match and Bushy's involved. Who's taking a loss here? <laughs> it's okay. I have you covered. <laughs> that's, but be careful when you call them, because you know we might like call them men, men in the masks. If, if William Eagle ever gets wind of it, oh, it'll be harder than a stick of black bull rock. <laughs> uh, but let's actually talk about this because it's the first thing that happened after the break. We got the announcement of something we definitely didn't have enough of in New Japan Pro Wrestling a new championship. The and it looks like one of my grand's dinner trees. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's an interesting choice of, of belt. Uh, it's the NGPW World Television Championship. It's this massive plate with a big NGPW World kind of logo in the middle of it. Got kind of a play button in the New Japan kind of line, like King of Sports logo on the side plates. And the le- what would you describe the leather as? Because in some photos it looks burn, and in other photos it looks orange. I don't know what this is. So... I, I wish I'd saved the tweet because there was actually a tweet that perfectly summed up apparently what they're aiming for and the, the look that they're aiming for and it makes sense now is do you ever remember watching lots of like old um, like shows like American sitcoms and that and the way the TVs used to look and it was always that kind of wooden yeah. box TV that's the look they're going for like the, the plate is essentially the screen and that kind of finish on the belt is meant to represent like that wooden frame so I was like ah that actually makes sense it does look like a massive TV. I was going to say, I remember looking at the photos for a bit longer, I thought, Jesus, that belt, which is massive, by the way, if it was any bigger, someone would have to put it on that weird tray and roll it into the ring like when they used to wheel the television in during school. It's raining outside, so everyone's going to have to come inside Corrigan Hall, and we're going to have a TV title match. Wheel it in. Yay! <laughs> I have to admit, as much as it's like another title, but at the same time, I like the rules behind the title and I like the plan for it, so I'm willing to give it a chance. Yeah, like apparently it's 15 minute time limits uh, for every match, and which means also things won't drag, which is always good. And they're aiming for younger talent to maybe have a go at uh, winning this belt, and they're hoping and all matches will be free on New Japan social media channels. So they're kind of trying to build some younger guys and maybe some guys who are coming in internationally when you look at the tournament bracket they announced and create some new fans so it does feel like they're doing with that what uh, what kind of impact wrestler are almost doing with their digital media championship at the minute when those matches are usually like digital media exclusives on their on their YouTube channel so fun. it's quite interesting but it's fucking huge fun fact I just double checked because we were talking about this beforehand there can't be a draw if it goes the distance, decisions will be made via coin toss. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, how pissed off would you be if you if you were a defending champion? How do you lose your title? Coin toss. Heads. <laughs> right, they say tails never fails. It failed me that night. Like, 
who's going to be the referee for these matches? Fucking Harvey Dent. Oh my god, that's amazing. Like, uh, I, I think occasionally they should mix it up with instead of a coin toss, it goes to a best of three rock paper scissors. <laughs> One, two, ah, I lost it again. Stop going for scissors. You'd have won the title by now if you stopped relying on scissors. Well, then that's what the acclaimed would do. <laughs> Way! <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Well, let me yeah, talk to you about this him. tournament. Let me talk to you about this tournament, which does start this coming Friday uh, on the new Autumn Attack Tour. We have the first two matches will be David Finlay versus Yoshinobu Karamaru. So clearly there's no weight limit on this which I'll feel bad for any juniors having to hold this because it's going to look fucking massive on them. Whereas when you get a heavyweight holding it like a Jeff Cobb, it's going to be like when Buddy Big Show was holding the, the ECW title. Wait, so the winner of that will face the winner of Alex Zane versus Axia Virginia. Some of the other matches in the first round include Yoshiashi versus Jeff Cobb, Aaron Hanari versus Evil, Sonata versus Taichi, Goto versus Kenta, Narita versus Ishii, and Toriano versus the Great Okan. All hail. <laughs> All hail. So they say that the semi-finals will go down on the 5th of November, which is the end of the Yom Attack Tour. Uh, that will, and then the final two after those two matches will meet at Wrestle Kingdom on January the 4th, where the first ever TV champion will be crowned. Early, <laughs> early predictions there for you. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, they say they're focusing on younger talent and that. They've got a good mix of people in. Oh, this is this is really hard for me to decide. Like the heart wants, great O'Can, all hail, all hail. But, but I honestly think we could see a a Ren Narita win for that tournament. I was going to say it's not he's my evil. Yeah, probably not evil, but. Oh, I'd say he's my outside bet is, is Ren Maria my other options you know I'm just praying for Sanada to win fucking anything because like look at all the titles we've got now and still Sanada can't win a singles title or get a decent reign with a singles title you know because that I'm just going to pretend that US reign didn't happen because he didn't fucking defend it so come on Sanada win fucking something I uh, get to Sanada because we know how much I love Sanada Sanada is my boy and yeah, I th- it's just the- wild I see Sanada Renneri is an outside pick. My other two options, I'd like to see Kenta win a belt again, or given he's, he's come so close recently to winning other titles, what about David Finlay going all the way? Oh, that would be a good. That that would actually be a corker a shout as well. Like this, this is the perfect opportunity for. We've got a few fair, fair few people in there that have not really had good like sort of like singles title runs or not had them at all. Looking at you, Zach Sabre Jr. <laughs> well, obviously, Zach Sabre Jr. had a lot of runs with like the the Rev Pro belt, but like when it comes to like, oh god, it, why did they put so many of my favourites in the one fucking tournament? To fuck with you. That's why they they do that. They announce things after we record, or they release shows after we record. We we give them the publicity on this podcast, and yet they don't treat us with any respect. It's just not fair. Damn it. Life sucks. And then you die. <laughs> oh. uh. <laughs> yeah. We got the I know it's one night, but Jesus, this Wrestle Kingdom card's already looking crazy when you think of all the titles they're gonna have to try and fit on this fucking show. 
I think we're going back to like a six hour Wrestle Kingdom that's gonna have every fucking title on there. <laughs> I think you're you're quite right there. But now we need to talk about a question that was answered after months of speculation. Who is whose daddy? And we found out that Shingo is ELP's daddy. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, this match like a wild stipulation aside. It was a fucking banger. You had Shingo, you had Shingo wearing an ELP style shirt saying Shingo is daddy and ELP wearing a Shingo style shirt saying ELP is daddy. And like you said, it was a pretty normal match. You had some good stuff between these two. ELP and his mints on the outside. He's setting these variations of the, the CR2, the CR3 and then. But hey, Shingo decides to do a version of it which he just sits on, he goes to his knees and pretty much just tries to drop uh, ELP right on his fucking head. Actually, you know what? He might not be able to say that, that I'm his daddy because I'm about to kill him, but if he dies, he dies. <laughs> but you wear uniquely one with the kind of grounded Cobra twist move, and then you kind of see the the realisation come over ELP where he realises what he's got to do. He's got to live up to the stipulation, and he tries to very quietly go in the camera microphone. Shingo is my daddy. Sorry, what? 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 Shingo is daddy. And then he <laughs> makes him sit sit down, gives him a pacifier or a dummy, uh, and t- he doesn't take a photo. And then he goes, and then EOP stands and goes, could I have a hug? Oh, and I love commentary. What a nice father and son hug. And then he just punches him in the balls. I know. And it's not even like, it's not the usual traditional wrestling style like low blow, which is always the kind of comical uppercut, but you can clearly tell they're catching just with the forearm and not doing it that much. No, it is a straight out punch to the dick. <laughs> and at the end of the day, isn't that a, a, a quite great symbolism for parenthood? You try and do your best for your kids, but in the end, they will always punch you in the dick. They always will. Little bastards. Gotta be careful. We're a couple. You know, Okada's got that to look forward to in 20 years. He's still going to be become himself in the main event of the Tokyo Dome. But then his son will come along and say, no more, father, and punch him right in the dick. <laughs> oh, Okada's going to be the type of dad that doesn't give his kid any mercy at all. That kid is going to have a tough time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. But then we had Wato versus Ishimori and a match basically to... This is a championship contender style match where Ishimori, where Watt was trying to earn a title shot. Ishimori is pretty dominant for most of this. Both men were sharing submissions. I don't even know what to describe some of these weird moves that uh, Watto kind of pulls out. But he was carrying everything that Ishimori had. And then, again, I don't even know what to describe it. We see Demente. Uh, like, I know that. We, I can't remember what you describe it as, but it's called We See Demente that he does. But now he pulled out a second version, which has been created on the website as Redemente. Rusidamente part two, or just Rusidamente two. And he got the upset when the commentators were shocked about it. He got in the microphone to stimulate a challenge, Ishimori, but then, then Padomu gets involved, and then Desperado gets involved, and then Ishimori has to be like, buddy, Oprah, you get a title shot. You get a title shot. Everyone gets a title shot. And a total throwback to that time years ago when like Hiromu came out and he had to wear like full protective gear. Yeah. I think they've decided we'll go back to that and happy we'll remember this four way because we can't talk about the last four way because I had a wrong in in it. <laughs> uh, wild times, but, absolute wild. But, 
let's just hope that none of these guys get cancelled in the next five to ten years. God, I hope not. Like, because really, I, I'm looking forward to another fantastic four-way at Wrestle Kingdom because the juniors do have a habit of pulling out absolute bangers at it, and it makes the the heavyweights go shit. <laughs> and like, I know Omega said that Osprey did the the spot off the off like kind of the part of the set in the four-way at that last Wrestle Kingdom. He said that he had a spot planned for the for, like that for his match with Jericho, and kind of looked at him and like shit. Now we need to write a new spot. Now we think of something else, and. You know, if you don't know if you, I recommend you look at the graphic for this four way for for Wrestle Kingdom because it looked like the way they put it is they got Ishimori, then the big Wrestle Kingdom logo, then the other three on the opposite end of the, the graphic. So it does look like if you didn't know any better, like they were advertising a three on one handicap match for the junior title. Which would be an interesting <laughs> thing to try and do, but you know. So it'll be interesting four way. You know, I, I I have no idea actually who's even going to win this. I wouldn't have even consider Watto, but then he got this win here. So, you know, anything can happen in a, a junior heavyweight four way. That's it. This is the thing with the four way. I think this is what they're they're trying to avoid the predictable. Oh, this is going to be an easy match to determine. Nope. Four way wild guess. Ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we had a couple of matches that were fairly predictable in what the outcome was going to be, but they were still enjoyable nonetheless. We had Okada not defending his uh, G1 briefcase opportunity against Jonah, but Jonah insisted he was going to insert himself into the main event anyway. If he did win, it would be a three-way dance, which it was hard for you people like, ah, they won't even do that when it's ah, they won't do that when it's Okada, Osprey and Shingo, but they were not going to do it for you, Jonah. I'm sorry, pal. But I think they, it does seem like Okada is trying to be the next Inoki and everything. And so basically they turned Jonah into basically a combination of Vader and Stan Hansen because he absolutely batters Okada. He hits a razor's head stale move into the bloody ring post, for God's sake, and he's hitting power bombs. He's just going after Okada's back at one point. But Okada, as much as I was kind of draining it, going into it thinking, oh, he said, oh, he's trying to slam him, but he can. Oh, I bet he'll have the Hogan S move and he'll slam him. But even I popped when he hit him with the landslide. Honestly, Okada and Jonah, fantastic matches to watch. These two know how to go in. Plus, this was like Jonah's first pinfall loss in New Japan. How fucking wild is that? Uh, it's it's interesting because it, as much as we joke about, uh, as much as we complain about him like winning all the time, it does feel like the last couple of years they've been using Okada to kind of put over and help get over the to help get over the new like monsters in New Japan. They did it with Jeff Cobb last year, where, yeah, Okada beat him, and then he came back, so they were one and one and then that went over Okada gave Cobb this momentum through the G1, where he almost went undefeated until he ran into Okada, and then they had the... So that then set up Cobb to go off in his tag team run, and now they're one and one They tease that afterwards, so then maybe, well, if Okada wins the title at Wrestling, maybe New York Dash, Jonah went, hey, we're one and one here. You might have defended the, the opportunity to go to the, to the Dome against me, but you're fucking putting that title on the line against me. I know. I'm still I'm still raging about the fact that they, they did not do the whole defend the briefcase. It's like, no, no, I won the G1. I'm getting into Wrestle Kingdom. It's like, I beg your fucking pardon. What makes you so fucking special you get to go and bypass that prick? I know who also, do you know who else was shocked and annoyed that, okay, I didn't put his title job on the line? That was Jay White, because if you watch his backstage comments, you're like, 
they want, he wants to prance around with a new belt and then say, oh, sorry, I, I'm not, I don't want to defend my toe. Okada gets everything he wants. And you're a coward, Okada. What do you think your hero, Antonio Noki, would think of you? He'd be ashamed of you. <laughs> Basically, uh. like, let's say they're, like, they're dedicating like Wrestle Kingdom 17 to the memory of Antonio Noki and how Okada's been going out in Noki style roles, trying to be that new kind of the leader in New Japan being that kind of a Noki style figure in Pisaji, where it's like, I oh, Noki would fucking hate you because you're a coward who doesn't want to defend the title shot at the dome. And I still, I still, th- I still think he summed it up perfectly with that picture that I shared in the group chat earlier today that Jay White posted on Twitter at the press conference. Just him firing the middle digit right at Okada. Summing <laughs> <laughs> up the fan, uh, point opinions of quite a few fans around the world, but. Not, not, not to take away from this match, 31 minutes this went, him versus uh, Tama Tonga. I did feel like Tama was on the, the defence for most of the match, but he did have a few strong moments during the match. And, you know, Jay White did try and cheat with the foot on the rope like he did when he beat Ibushi for his title shot. See, Ibushi would defend the title. Uh, he tried to use a chair, but that backfired after the referee got knocked down and uh, Tama had a low blow onto... On Jay White, there was a reference to other members of Bullet Club with the Bloody Sunday getting involved. Jado and Gado were getting, getting into it on the outside. Everything was just too slow after the bloody... After the, the guns done to count the three. But they did get the fans really on the edge of their seat. But I really do love the finish. Tama goes for a springboard version of the, of the guns done. Jay White catches them, turns that into the Blade Runner. Fucking sensational. Aye. Honest to God. I'm, I've been behind Jay White since ever since like he came back from being a young lion and debuted as a switchblade. This man is big things for wrestling, and I hope he retains at the at the dome because he puts on such great performances. Character works on point. Knows how to tell a story. Knows how to be a total shite bag heel. Knows how to be a cunning <laughs> heel. Knows the full package. All about him. Yeah, it does, though, fill me with a bit of dread, though, going into that match. That is it all? Okada is basically trying to honour Antonio Inoki on a show that's been dedicated to the late Inoki. Like, I just remember hearing that thinking, Jay's fucked. <laughs> I mean, I still hold out hope because I, lo- I love Jay White. I've loved him for a long time. Like, I remember watching, by, like, getting to properly see him. Like, I'd seen some of his matches when he was on experience in a regular order, but then properly seen him when he came back for his matches with Tanahashi and Omega in the first few months of his returning I was kind of into him I saw a lot of people hating on him but you know like you I've been a fan of his for a long time so I like to see him stand tall at the end of WrestleCam because his post-match promos and his post-match comments are some of my favourites him and ZSG are the two top guys I enjoy hearing from after matches because you had Jay you know Jay does his whole to Jay show sometimes after his matches but he did these comments after he won the title where like, he shot on Okada for not defending the belt. But also he was like he was like surprised he was handing a beer to one of the young lions who was passed the one to Gado. He was like, My God, Gado, for once the beer's cold. <laughs> and then he told about how it was his birthday the day before, it was his thirtieth birthday the day before that title defence. Like, I spent my thirtieth birthday on a fucking pint. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus, this man's just turned fucking thirty and look at him, he's on top of his game and so much so so much his gear politics still to go. <laughs> Oh God, what what a t- what a time to be alive! I mean, remember when Jay gave us one of the best promos ever backstage, where it looked like he was just ready to like call it quits 
then he disappeared for like a whole fucking month. That was amazing. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, had everybody's big. I was like, oh, he's gonna show up in the rumble. He's gonna show up in the rumble. I think it was. I think it was the. Tw- <laughs> yeah, he did. That was the twenty twenty rumble, wasn't it? Or was it twenty twenty one? Uh, was it 2020 or is it? No, 2021, yeah, because it was him and Ibushi. Aye, because 2020 would have been when they did the initial double gold dash, so in the following year, yeah. I mean, it's just as well because that was bloody Thunderdome. That was a Thunderdome rumble, and you know, as good as it ended up being, like if Jay ever does go to WWE, I want him to be in the biggest arena fucking possible. Aye, that's it. You want you want it to to be huge. Mm. But uh, going up to the next tour, we've got a lot to look forward to across Autumn Attack. We're going to have the the TV title tournament with the semi-finals going down on November the fifth, and also on that that same show, we're going to have Osprey versus Naito for the US title, Anderson versus Hikaleo for the Never title, the four men in the uh, junior heavyweight uh, four way. I remember seeing a picture of those four and the. The Autumn Attack uh, logo. I assumed the four was happening there, not Wrestle Kingdom. I was still proven wrong, apparently, at the Autumn Attack show. It's basically as if it's going to be a four way tag with each of them choosing their own partners, but I think we all know who they're going to pick because they've all got established partners that they've fought for junior tag titles with before. But uh, also, Aussie Open, they haven't had any opponents, but it said that on actual Aussie Open are going to make their New Japan debut. I'm so excited for that because, we, like, they have been everywhere, but it doesn't say who they're going to face yet. Should be very interesting. You've got to think they have to be in bloody World Tag League. Aye, that's it. They have to be in World Tag League. And, you know, looking at it, I'm like, who's going to be their kind of their, their first test in Japan itself? Mm. I'm personally hoping for Tekkers. Oh, that or them versus like any combination of TMDK. Aye, give me give me one of those because yeah. that is just good. That is just screaming money. Them versus Nicholas and Ace, basically the battle for the heart of Australia. <laughs> there can only be one number one Australian tag team. Aye, that's it. And to me, that is awesome. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming Hikaleo is going to win that never title from Carl Anderson but I'm trying to think he's got to defend it on the Tokyo Dome and I got this weird sense of dread in me I thought who's going to come out and challenge Hikaleo for that belt it's got to be somebody maybe for Bullet Club to try and get some revenge and I got this sense of dread like it's going to be fucking evil isn't it evil's going to come out because he never got his rematch for the never title he's going to challenge Hikaleo for it but like on the, on the other end if I get to see Hikaleo just batter you know, just batter evil and just deliver massive joke slams to all three members of the House of Torture. It's, well, actually, all four of them. Get Dick Togo as well, throw him in the front row. Aye, uh, that's, it's going to be, like, I'm like, if Hikuleo is going to absolutely demolish someone like evil, I'll accept it, only on the purpose that he is going to destroy him. Mm. I mean, and, and another couple of options spring to mind, um, just because open weight, I wouldn't mind seeing ELP take a wee shot. Mm. Mm-hmm. What do we think about talking about EOP that because he was challenging for the for the KOPW title? I think it's basically the, say at this point, uh, Shingo's going to hold that belt that 
trophy to the end. He is officially the KOPW, King of Pro Wrestling, for 2022, which, in my opinion, he's been a true King of Pro Wrestling for the last three years, given how great he's been in New Japan. But uh, do you think they'll try and move Tingo uh, match further at the Cardinals game, or do you think he'll come back to reclaim the crown as part of the New Japan Ramble? Because I have seen some people who do think that the KOPW thing is kind of beneath Shingo at this point. I, th- I think, you know, Shingo's done something with it this year. He's tried to put a bit of, you could say, legitimacy behind it because, you know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not the usual Yano shenanigans. But I, I honestly, I, I, I'm agreeing Shingo is way above that. I mean, come on, the man was a world title holder. And he's yeah, this, done this so time, much for the company. I know, this time last year going to Wrestle Kingdom, he was the defending IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So I wouldn't be surprised if he, he teased something because he's like confident that he's going to be KOPW champion for 2022. Like, I don't need to prove anything. I'm already the king for the for the year. So he goes after someone else's belt. Like, you know, give me Shingo v Hikaleo. You know, Hikaleo, I haven't always been the biggest fan of his matches, but Shingo can't have a bad match, even if he, even if people like Evil try and make him have one. Like, Shingo, Shingo will do something with you. That's it. It's like, I mean, the, the great thing that this has shown with Shingo is it doesn't matter where they put him. He will give a hundred percent to it. Like mm-hmm. he will really go for it. The man is an MVP ever since he debuted all those years ago in the juniors, working his way up to the heavyweight. He's just been one of the best things to happen in Japan in the last several years. Like well, in New Japan, not that it wasn't big before it because it was massive before it as well, but just absolute fucking incredible. I I, I totally agree with you, but I like the fact that there's so much excitement and so many, many possibilities. Uh, coming out of this, so we already know for Wrestle Kingdom that we're going to probably have that New Japan Rambo. We're going to have the finals of the Two Tailor. We're going to have Jay White Wrestle Kingdom main event, and we're going to have a four-way match for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. So it's good to see some good to see some big matches confirmed already uh, for the Dome, and we're going to have a, some very busy but very exciting months ahead of us. In our next episode in early November, you'll hear us talking about everything that happened during Autumn Attack, especially with these title matches. We're going to talk about the Royal... We're going to talk about everything. We're going to talk about all of Royal Quest and the a bit more detail on that great match with FTR and Aussie Open when it's finally on New Japan World. And hopefully, if we time it right, the participants for Super J Tag League and World Tag League will have been announced. We're going to break that down as well. And we're prepared for it. It's probably going to be a three-show December with everything we have planned. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it, Grant. I cannot wait for December because we've got tournaments to talk about, Wrestle Kingdom to talk about, and all hail, Great O'Can. Ah, yes, the Great O'Can. I can't wait for that. <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of East Meets West. Please be sure to check out this and all the other episodes of East Meets West and other ESSR podcasts that we've got in our back catalogue. Over five years worth, almost near 600 podcasts worth I believe we are up to at this stage. We'll make sure to check all that out. You hear this every so often, on usually on a Sunday. We have our ESR feature shows every single Tuesday. Recently, we had the return of Book It. The week before that, Mika and Chris Lopez looked at the career of Gunther slash Walter ahead of his recent IC title defence against Sheamus. We have, next week, we're going to have a, a show called It's Still Real to Me, which is going to be a every so often series that we do looking at you know, looking at an instalment of a wrestling documentary, and it's going to be me, Andy Mitchell, Chris Murray, and Guy Kernan 
talking about CM Punk's 2012 Best in the World documentary. There's nothing really as big as happened about CM Punk in the last couple of months, has it? Uh, so <laughs> that's going to be coming next Tuesday for Sad Giraffe Live every Saturday. Central's maybe on a Thursday, but Russ hasn't been around a couple of weeks, the lazy bastard. You, know, you can't blame <laughs> it on not. You can't blame it on being holiday for us anyway. So we got a lot of stuff happening. Uh, we got a lot of stuff in the back. You get that lazy cunt dealt. Start doing shows again. <laughs> we got all that. We got quiz showdown. We're trying to arrange a recording date for that, but that'll be back in November. And you know everything else you can keep up with on all good Android podcasts. It's with the Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. Google Podcasts, wherever you choose to get your podcasts, give us a like, rating, or review on your chosen platform. And keep up with us at Suplex Retweet, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And join our Facebook community page. You can join the conversation, join the Lusters League, get slagged off, have a conversation, all that good stuff. But, Grant, it's been another fun episode. And, you know, on to more years VSR and on to a very busy end of year for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And another year of the Great Okan. All hail. All hail. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.